Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 60. The Screwtape Letters. Letter 30. Under Pressure. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where Matt, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And the day that this episode is published is May 4th, Star Wars Day, and I'm joined by a guest co-host, my friend for nearly 11 years now, Rochelle Lucero. Rochelle, welcome to the show, and may the Force be with you. Hey, what's up? I'm really happy to be here. And yes, the Force is with me. And I think that the Force is actually really strong with me, considering that you and I have been able to maintain a friendship for 11 years, (laughs) just butting heads along the way. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's like in The New Hope, where Obi-Wan Kenobi says, it was like thousands of voices crying out and then being silent. (laughs) That was just us arguing. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) Well, Christ is risen. Christos Vosgres. (laughs) There you go. Listeners, Rochelle and I go to the same Byzantine parish, and during Easter, we do these kind of back and forth exchanges in a variety of languages, English, Greek, and in this case, Church Slavonic. So before we get started, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your wonderfully named podcast, Clumsy Theosis? Yeah, um, Clumsy Theosis, it's hard for me to talk about because the way it came about, it wasn't like me having this big brainwave and then I like worked out this big like business plan, like what I'm going to do, what it's going to be about. It just kind of fell in my lap um, three years ago when I was at Catholic Answers and I've been doing it for myself a year and a half now. But at the time when it like fell in my lap, literally it was just like uh, someone suggested it and I was like, yeah, I would love to do a podcast and talk about the faith. And I did know that when I started it, I wanted to help Catholics be able to gain a robust knowledge about the faith and then be able to turn that knowledge, that knowledge about the faith into a vibrant faith life. And when they do this, hopefully they would be open to being transformed by Christ, right? And when you're being transformed by Christ, you know, you're doing that by very, um, the very virtue of being transformed by Christ, you are also then transforming the world, you know, because you're becoming a saint and you're glorifying God. For the podcast, when I do that, I just look at anything and everything Catholic on the show and I just crack it open and I boil it down because some things can seem intimidating. Um, some things can seem over people's heads. Um, but really, it's it's very simple because it's the truth. You know, it's from the Lord. The Lord wants everyone to know it. And so we look at things, you know, all of the great Catholic thinkers, um, anyone who's like a spiritual master, mystic, um, and just try to make everything practical for everyone so that not only can you have this knowledge, but then again, you can apply it to yourself and to grow and be transformed by Christ. That's what I do. And to me, it's it's very personal because I came back to the faith in 2010, and that was around the time that you and I met. And um, I had a lot of questions about the faith. So in order to get my questions answered, I decided that I would get a master's degree. So I went to Franciscan University and got a master's degree in theology. But I don't think that everyone needs to do that. I don't think everyone should have to do that. I think the faith should be so accessible to everyone. 
and not just to know about the faith, but to live it and to know the Lord deeply. And that's what happened to me at Franciscan. I got a academic understanding of the faith, but also a very personal understanding of God. And I wanted to help other people to be able to do that. And as for the title, I'm sure that your listeners are very familiar with the word theosis because of Matt. I know that that is something that <laughs> he um, he talks about all the time. Um, and of course, it, theosis is part of the everyday Catholic life, even though people aren't aware of it because they're not familiar with the word because the word is Greek and the majority of Catholics are Western Latin Catholics, you know, so this Greek word of theosis, it's like, what does that mean? It really, it's it's just about becoming the saint that God created you to be, you know, following Christ, partaking in his divine nature, um, be that through actually partaking of him in the Eucharist and the sacraments, or just by following him and um, imitating him and becoming more like him in the world. And that's all I have to say. Oh, oh, that that's just about the show. Um, I am, I'm married. I, I always forget to like... <laughs> I'm telling Gary. I don't, I don't forget that I'm married. Let's not, <laughs> but like when I talk about myself, I'm just like, I don't think people really like that. To me, it's just like so basic. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, I am married. I have been married for four years and I'm a Byzantine Catholic and I love Jesus. And we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> well, you missed out the important fact that I read at your wedding which was uh, uh, yes. a great blessing for you. Uh, <laughs> and I did also actually, for, yeah, for us. And I did also want to highlight uh, a series that you did recently on salvation history. And you're taking a bird's eye view of salvation history, looking mm-hmm. through the different covenants. I think that is so crucial that every Christian needs to do that. Because mm-hmm. once you've done that, just once, the rest of the Bible starts falling into place. Otherwise... Yeah. When you go to church and you hear a reading, if you don't know the context, if you don't know where this fits in the story of salvation history, you're going to be very confused and could very easily fall into some pretty major errors if you don't know when this actually happens. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's exactly the way I look at it as like you need to have a bird's eye view and you need to be able to put things in order. So when you have this, you know, you have these major events, you can put those in order and then you have this timeline that then you can like continue to fill in. The more you learn about the faith through, I don't know, adult formation from the homily at, at, at church or just your own personal prayer time, like you like you you'll start to actually have a comprehensive view and understanding of the faith and not just what happened, but like you said, like this way you won't fall into error. You won't, you know, become a heretic because you understand what was taught when and why and how that applies to you. And at the time of recording, you've just started a series on spiritual combat, which is very appropriate Mm -hmm. since we're going to be talking about screw tape today. So let's get on with that. And we'll begin with our standard sections. Uh, As listeners will know, letter numbers are hard to remember, so in each episode we name Screwtape's current epistle after the title of a song, and today's topics include fatigue and stress. Now, listener, maestro, uh, John Marr, he had quite a highbrow suggestion for today's song of the week, Nessun Dorma by Puccini, and in Italian it literally means let no one sleep. Well, that's going to give you some fatigue. Uh <sighs> Commenting on his suggestion, John sent me a note saying that it's often used in that boring sport Americans never watch, soccer. Uh. Uh, And and even though I'm English, I agree with him entirely. Uh, But Rochelle, you actually quite like the football, don't you? (laughs) 
I actually do. My husband and his family, they are intense sports fans. And when we got married, I was like, look, I'm not going to follow all these sports. I can't do it. I don't have the time or the patience because I'm not really into sports. But I was like, you know what? Let me just kind of survey all the sports teams that you like and you follow and you watch and I'll decide. And I had never actually watched a football game before, a, a, um, a soccer game before. And um I've watched, so my my husband, he follows Arsenal and I watched a game and I was like, this is amazing. And it doesn't hurt that he brought me to um, a pub here in San Diego. Like a lot of like the major teams, they have like their own like home pub here, even though we are in the United States. And so we went there and everyone there was an Arsenal fan and it was just so much camaraderie and the sport itself was actually fascinating to me. And I was like, this is real athleticism. So yes, I am an Arsenal fan. Um, but I say that lightly because you ask me players and stats and positions, and I'm like, uh, can you tell me what they look like? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> Is it the cute uh, one with the side parting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we do we do uh, follow Arsenal. Well, anyway, returning to Nessun Dorma, it is a very beautiful piece. But in his message, John also emphasized to me that it's an aria, not a song per se. And on that alone, I'm going to disqualify it from consideration. So this week's song comes from a different kind of musical royalty rather than Puccini. The song of the week comes from the British band Queen, and the song is Under Pressure. Here's a little bit of the lyrics. Pressure pushing down on me, pushing down on you, no man ask for. Under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on the streets. Are you much of a Queen fan, Rochelle? I actually do really like Queen. And I would say that um, We Will Rock You is probably like the best song ever to put in any sort of like montage or training montage in a movie. And those are like my favorite things in movies. <laughs> People quite often ask me what I think the best British band is. And they usually expect me to say the Beatles. But I'm going to say it's Queen. You know, yeah, I, I always forget that they are British. I do. Because they are so well known and liked here in the US, but not because they're British. Like I think like the, you know, you think British invasion and you think the Beatles or the Stones, right? You don't think of Queen because they weren't part of that. Yeah. Anyways. British people are popular here too, Rochelle. Just ask my wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's a little partial. Okay. So that was the song of the week. The quote of the week pairs with this. And it's Screwtape's suggestion that moderate fatigue is a better soil for peevishness than absolute exhaustion. This depends partly on physical causes, but partly on something else. It is not fatigue simply as such that produces the anger, but unexpected demands on a man already tired. Good one. And the drink of the week, for me, is a local San Diego beer, Ballast Point's Passing Haze, uh, which is an IPA. I'm usually not a fan of IPAs, but I rather like this one. It's not too hoppy. Are you drinking anything? I am actually not drinking anything um, alcoholic. I have here some kombucha, raspberry flavored. Um, I was looking for something that had any sort of fermentation in my refrigerator that wasn't alcoholic. And that's what I found. <laughs> and I'm actually double fisting it because I'm going to have to drink hot water to like balance out the kombucha. But yeah, <laughs> that's what I got going on here. Very hipster of you. Well, since we have our drinks, let's toast a gold-level Patreon supporter, and today we're toasting Justin Patton. So if you'll please raise your glass. Justin, whatever trials you encounter, whatever strain and stress you feel pressing upon you, may you always lean on the one who can sustain you through it all. Cheers.
Cheers. Did you come up with that yourself? I did. Hmm. Nice. Well done. Thank you. I occasionally do words. <laughs> and speaking of words, uh, let's go on to the summary, the 100-word chapter summary of letter 30. And this is our penultimate letter from Uncle Screwtape, and it was first published in The Guardian on the 21st of November, 1941. Despite being very frightened, the patient did his duty during the recent air raid, and perhaps even a bit more than his duty demanded. Needless to say, Screwtape is furious, telling his nephew to bring back food, or be food himself. Screwtape says that the patient's current fatigue can be put to good use if handled correctly, by dissuading him from resolute commitment, by nurturing false hopes, and receiving all disappointments as injury. He outlines how to make the best use of future carnage by confusing the patient's language regarding all horrors as real, but all joys and beauties as mere sentiment. Now, we're going to go through this letter section by section, but before we kick that off, do you have any general thoughts about it? Yeah, I, I found it very interesting. Um, we're going to see how uh, screw tape manipulates both extremes as well as moderation, mm. which you don't normally see him do because he mostly operates with regard to extremes. And then there's something that's kind of subtle that I don't know if we're really going to talk about it that much, but I do want to point it out so people are aware of it, is the way that he manipulates the emotions, but also the thoughts, um, you know, when it comes to like uh, fostering false hopes um, and then with regard to the meaning of real, right? So he's going to be manipulating thoughts when most people think that, oh, your emotions can't be trusted. They're easily manipulated, but so are your thoughts. And he's going to show us exactly how that's going to happen. And um, I think his overall tactic here is just to like imbalance, you know, his patient, um, and make him improperly ordered, which if you think about it, duh, because, you know, everything that is holy and true, it's properly ordered towards Christ. And so he wants to make you imbalanced and improperly ordered or disordered. I like it. Okay, well, let's work through this letter. Screwtape is not happy with his nephew, yet again, and he begins in his usual frustrated tone. I sometimes wonder whether you think you've been sent into the world for your own amusement. I gather not from your miserably inadequate report, but from that of the infernal police, that the patient's behaviour during the first air raid has been the worst possible. In the chapter summary, I said what was so terrible about the patient's behaviour, and this is it in Screwtape's own words. He has been very frightened and thinks himself a great coward and therefore feels no pride. But he has done everything his duty demanded, and perhaps a bit more. So what do you make of this, Rochelle? Why is this such a disaster for Wormwood and Screwtape? Well, I think it, when we look at the idea of fear, um, fear can be a great opportunity for humility, right? Because you're recognizing, you know, your limitations and sometimes you ha that you have nothing in order to help yourself out of said, you know, fearful situation. And so you recognize your dependence on God. and I think when you're afraid, you're able to find peace in surrendering to God a lot more than when you're not and you think you can handle everything and maybe trusting God and surrendering to God is maybe more of a gamble because <laughs> um, <laughs> you think you got it figured out. And you're like, I don't need help. I can I can handle this myself. But yeah, fear is, um, it, it really does help you to recognize um, your necessity for God and just with the overall virtue of humility. 
Yeah, and in this case, the patient, he was afraid. And so、mm-hmm. he has had that humbling experience. But at the same time, he also did what he knew was required of him. And Screwtape、mm-hmm. says, and maybe even a bit more. So basically, he's、right. acted as he should, but the experience has revealed to him his own weakness and his own need for God. And so that's, that's a double whammy for Screwtape. That's the worst of all worlds. Mm-hmm. And you might even argue that he was able to fulfill his duty and go even above and beyond that because he did have that humbling experience and then fall on the Lord and depend on him. We know that that fear is not from God. You know, we know that that's true. But I think being afraid of fear can、um, be dangerous sometimes. Because we know that all things work for,、uh, work for the good for those who love God. You know, that's what Paul says in Romans. And so, if, if you are afraid, you know, some people, if they suffer with anxiety or anything like that, like fear is, is a general part, you know, of, of that struggle. And to be afraid of that is dangerous because then you can be tempted to be uber self reliant, you know, and then you're not relying on God and you're not going to be able to. Probably fulfill your duties or to even go above and beyond like the patient was able to do, you know, because you're making your, you're trying to make yourself God when you're being self reliant that way. Yeah. So fear of fear is dangerous. So, yes, fear is not from God, but it can work for the glory of God.、Mm-hmm. And when you try and be self reliant, you can go a long way in that direction and、mm-hmm. be self reliant, but there will always come a point when your own resources will ultimately fail. And I would also like to point out, I've been very grown up and I haven't giggled once whenever you said duties. <laughs> oh my gosh. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the next bit of the letter, Wormwood had apparently complained to his uncle about the toughness of his job, but needless to say, he doesn't find a very sympathetic ear with screw tape. His uncle's response is What is the use of whining to me about your difficulties? And he goes on and says that Wormwood is operating on God's idea of justice, that extenuating circumstances should be considered. And all of this is just pure heresy to screw tape.、Mm-hmm. And he reminds his nephew that hell just cares about results. He says, Bring us back food or be food yourself. Screw tape is quite happy to feast on humans or other devils. And l- listeners will recall that Lewis spoke about this consumption in Lewis's preface, the 1961 preface to his book. And he basically communicates that hell is a dog eat dog world.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, that it was just a dog eat dog world. I was like, oh, ew, you know, like I forgot that that was like a thing. Something else that stood out to me here when he was talking about how hell is only concerned with results. And to me, that was just like the modern. World, you know, like the society that we're living in in our fallen nature, people are reduced to what they produce, like their position, their career, their income, their utility. Yes, exactly. You know, like you have to like even go to your own boss and like prove that you're you're worth your paycheck that week. You know, yeah, you want to put in a good a good day's work or a good week's worth. But at the same time, it's just like everything is about, you know, statistics and numbers and it's very objective, whereas the value of the human person is, is subjective. Yeah, it was just so obvious that like people who, who operate under that, that value system, they are kind of living in hell on earth, in my opinion. Also, the, when he's talking about justice here, the way he says it, You know, the enemy's idea of justice, right? So he's hoping for a little bit of mercy, you know? And so this is an allusion to God's mercy.、Um, that's actually 
in a way, God's justice, right? Because you can't have mercy without justice, right? So God is just, something is is due you, you know, and maybe that's punishment, whatever, you know, but God in his mercy decides that, you know, he's going to alleviate that in one way or another. Um, and we just had Divine Mercy Sunday. And so that like, I think that's what triggered it. If we didn't just have Divine Mercy Sunday, I might not have, have caught that. Because, you know, according to, to Satan, he is the most just, right? Um, when you talk about mercy and even Christ's sacrifice on the cross, those are blasphemies against justice, according to him. And so he is even more just than God in his, his uh, opinion. Screwtape talks about the realism of hell. Mm-hmm. It's not all bad news in Woman's letter, though. Screwtape finds some reasons for hope, particularly related to reports of the patient's growing fatigue. And this, the patient's tiredness is no doubt due to the growing cocktail of stress from the air raids and all of his various responsibilities that we learn about through the letters, responsibilities to his family, his work, and the war. However, Screwtape warns his nephew that simple tiredness it won't automatically produce hellish results. He says, it won't fall into your hands. Fatigue can produce extreme gentleness and quiet of mind and even something like vision. If you have often seen men led into anger, malice, and impatience, that is because those men had efficient tempters. So mm. Screwtape is, is throwing a little bit of shade. Other people do their job, mm. Wormwood. You do it too. <laughs> Why do you think fatigue can yield such different results? I think that fatigue in general, it just quells the inner fight. It does that in, in one of two ways. It'll either take away the steam behind someone's ego, or it will deteriorate your will and your discipline, right? And so with regard to it taking away the steam behind your ego, I think that can be a good thing. Um, it makes me think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is my life verses, uh, you know, when he says, present your body as a living sacrifice, you know, mm -hmm. and the the thing there is as a living sacrifice, um, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Yada, yada, yada. Right. So when he's. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. We, amen. Yes. We, we know where we're going here. Um, but when he's talking about it being a living sacrifice, something that is living is going to be squirming. Right. Versus something that's fatigued. It's going to be a little less wriggly up on that table. Right. Therefore, your sacrifice is you know, your sacrifice of yourself is going to be easier and maybe even deeper, right? Because there's nothing in you to fight against that. I often say the real danger of a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. Exactly. But when you're utterly fatigued, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And then you're just participating in God's will. And that, in, in my opinion, is just like a welcomed oasis, you know, whereas if you had the energy to think about it and fight it, you would you know, it would not be a pleasurable experience, one, because you're scared and fighting, and two, because you wouldn't be in God's will, you know, and so there's no pleasure in that. Oh, and then the, the second thing that I said was um, fatigue deteriorates your will and your discipline, right? And this mostly is going to lead us into sin, right? Um, when Gary and I were going through our marriage prep, one thing that our priest said, uh, Father Alex DePaulis, he did our marriage prep, one piece of advice that he gave us that was like crucial and it's like I will carry it with me to, for the rest of my life is the HALT rule, H-A-L-T. So don't talk about anything important. Don't engage in anything important. You know, this was even before we were married. So it's like don't be around each other. Just 
if you are any of these four things, if you're hungry, angry, um, lonely, or tired, right? Because if, if you, it's just not going to go well, you know, hmm. um, because you're, you're going to be fatigued. You're, you're going to be, your guard is going to be down. You know, you're less likely to be impatient, to be angry. Um, in our case, since we weren't married yet, um, you know, we might be more tempted to um, acts of unchastity, uh, things like that. That's why in our marriage, I always keep some snacks around for the good <laughs> and health of the marriage. I need to do that. If either of us are getting a little antsy, it's like, hey, let's eat something. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do that because I know I can tell when Gary's getting tired and I'm like, you need you need to eat. You know, you, like it, it's not your bedtime, so you can't go to sleep <laughs> yet. And we still got stuff today. And we have to be around each other for a couple more hours. <laughs> let's have a snack. <laughs> Screwtape normally likes extremes. You mentioned that before. He likes extremes, <laughs> except, of course, extreme devotion to the enemy, as he says in one letter. Mm. But interestingly, in this letter, in this particular case, Screwtape says that moderate fatigue can be more preferable. He says it's better soil for peevishness than absolute exhaustion. And that was in the quote of the week this week. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? What is it about moderate fatigue that's different? Because I think the fatigue is strong enough to be effective, right, to to lower his defenses and lead him more towards sin. But it's not so all up in your face. You know, it's more subtle. And so he won't notice it and correct it. You know what I mean? Mm. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I think I'd go with that. I mean, when we talked about the benefits that fatigue can have, how it can lead to quietness of mind, uh, mm-hmm. if you're only moderately tired, you don't get those benefits to, to the same degree. Mm-hmm. So moderate fatigue is often preferable. But then the question then comes to Screwtape, well, how do we exploit this? And he offers three main techniques. He says, it's not fatigue simply that produces the anger, but unexpected demands on a man already tired. This was another part of the quote of the week. He says, whatever men expect, they soon come to think they have a right to. The sense of disappointment can, with very little skill on our part, be turned into a sense of injury. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this? <laughs> this made me think of entitlement and something that I learned from Pope Benedict Emeritus. Pope, is it? Do we say Pope Emeritus Benedict or Pope That's the one. Benedict Emeritus? Okay. Pope Emeritus. Uh, Hang on, sorry, we should probably clear that up. For non-Catholics, that means basically if you used to be something and you're not anymore, then you're Emeritus. Or at least he, he, it was basically when Pope Benedict retired from the papacy and then Pope Francis then became Pope. Pope Benedict became Pope Emeritus Benedict. Right. In my mind, I just call him Pope Benny Sixteen, <laughs> <laughs> And I do that with some of the saints, too. Like Augustine, I call him Augie. Um, these these are just, you Not know. Not Gus. Anyways. <laughs> no. I know. I should have thought about that one. Um, but yeah, so Pope Emeritus Benedict, he talks about this concept of all as gift, right? So entitlement versus all as gift. So when he was Pope, he wrote in one of his encyclicals about entitlement. And so I I pulled out a few quotes here. So if you don't mind, Um, this is what he says um, with regard to entitlement. He says, modern man is wrongly convinced that he is the sole author of himself, his life and society. This is a presumption that follows from being selfishly closed in on himself. And it is a consequence to express it in faith terms of original sin. So the point here is is he um, he's talking about being closed in on yourself, and this is linked with entitlement. 
And it ties in very neatly with what we talked about in season two when we we're doing The Great Divorce. And I kept talking about incavatus in se, the idea of a soul turned in on itself. When it mm-hmm. does that, all it's going to do is die. Right. And St. Augustine, he says, with regard to original sin, he says that sin is being turned in on oneself, right? Mm -hmm. So before Pope Emeritus Benedict was Pope, he was known as Cardinal Ratzinger. And he wrote about this concept, all is gift. And he says, the Pharisee does not really look at God at all, but only at himself. He does not really need God because he does everything right by himself. The tax collector, by contrast, sees himself in the light of God. He draws life from being in relationship, from receiving all as gift. He will always need the gift of goodness, of forgiveness, but in receiving it, he will always learn to pass that gift on to others, right? So like the Pharisees here, they're looking inward, right? It's very similar to this thing that we're talking about, you know, just a minute ago, being closed in on yourself. St. Augustine says looking inward is um, from original sin, right? And the tax collector, on the other hand, he's looking upward, right? He's not looking inward. He's looking upward at God. And it kind of reminds me, have you ever read this book? Um, It's called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Sometimes it's called Abandonment to Divine Providence, No, but Kevin keeps telling me I need to read it. (laughs) Yeah, you should. It's very small. And it's basically just about total reliance on God and how every every moment is a sacrament. Every moment points you towards God, points you upward. And so if you're totally reliant in all things at all times, you will spiritually grow, right? So that's what it reminds me of, the sacrament of the present moment. It's much deeper. If you haven't read it, read it. Okay. So what you're saying is that if we approach life with this mindset, with uh, receiving everything as gift, with uh, mm-hmm. with a spirit of gratitude, then we don't fall into what Screwtape is wanting to happen here. Because he says what men expect, they think that they've got a right to it. And then when they don't get it, they conceive that disappointment as injury. And this is actually something that we mm-hmm. spoke about back in Letter 21 when Sister Natalia came on the show. That was the I Want It Now episode. And Screwtape mm-hmm. says that men are not angered by mere misfortune, but misfortune conceived as injury. It's not simply that I'm just not getting what I want. I deserve it and I'm not getting it. And there is therefore a sense of injustice and entitlement. Right. It's it's basically saying that my life is my own versus my life is a gift. And out of thanksgiving and love for the person who gave me that gift, I'm going to give my life back. And it kind of ties into being a self-sacrifice, you know, from Romans 12, um, offering your body mm. to the Lord, offering everything back to him. And then all of this is then catalyzed. It's made even worse. It's, it's made more powerful when put in terms of tiredness. Mm-hmm. Screwtape says it's not fatigue simply as such that produces the anger, but unexpected demands on a man already tired. He's tired and he thinks he deserves, he thinks he's entitled to not be disturbed anymore. Exactly. Okay, well, that was technique number one, fostering injury. Uh, Screwtape then offers a second technique, which I'm calling feeding false hopes. And in this next section, Screwtape points out a danger of pushing the patient too far. Throughout the letters, Screwtape occasionally says, don't push the patient too much on this, otherwise he'll respond and realize what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But in this case, Screwtape says that if the patient thinks that the difficult situation is irremediable, basically that it can't be fixed, that this is something he's just going to have to endure, that he's given up any hope of relief and he's just living moment to moment, asking for grace in the moment just to get through the next next few minutes. 
Screwtape says that that is really dangerous soil because it produces the kind of humility and gentleness that we said before fatigue can actually produce. Mm-hmm. When you've pretty much given up, when you know you have to rely on God, that's, mm-hmm. that's a danger zone for Screwtape. And it's because of that, he says, to produce the best results from the patient's fatigue, therefore, you must feed him with false hopes. And this is kind of tough because when we think of hope, we think of that something good. This is something that God gives us. Right, one of the virtues. But this isn't what Screwtape wants. He wants false hopes. And he says that to achieve this, uh, his nephew has to feed the patient with comforting thoughts of home, uh, suggesting that there'll be a break in the air raids, uh, that it'll all soon be over. And he says that men usually feel that a strain could have been endured no longer at the very moment when it is ending or when they think it is ending. Mm. So by basically giving him false hopes, he's giving him false promises as to what he can expect. Do you think this is true? Or am I just being a bit negative? Uh, (laughs) You're asking the wrong person about that. I'm a pessimist (laughs) to the core. (laughs) If I didn't have Jesus in my life, oh my gosh, what would I do? Um, Well, first thing I want to make a note here that this is what I was talking about early on, where he's talking about the manipulation of his thoughts, right? Because mm. he's talking about plausible reasons and, you know, you want to comfort him with the thoughts, right? It's not just about emotion. Yeah. So both your thoughts and your emotions are able to be manipulated. One is not superior in that way. But are you being negative? <laughs> I don't know. I think I think this is the daily struggle. Um, I think that being present in the every moment, even the, even those hard fatigue moments and conquering what's in front of us, being dependent on God, that's our daily struggle. And it is just that. It is a struggle. Let's not sugarcoat it. That's what it, what it means to be disciplined, right? To be a disciple is to be disciplined, right? You're going to act like the one who you're following. And in order to do that, you need to discipline yourself and push yourself with God's grace, obviously. And it reminds me of what Paul says in his letter to the Hebrews when he says, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And run to win. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're know, not going for simply a participation medal. No, I'm running right. to win. Exactly. And the way that you do that, he says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? So you want to follow that, you know, that person who is perfection. But yeah, I think that's that's the ideal of the Christian life. This is what separates the saints from the not saints. You know what I mean? And theosis, you know, it's the participation in the divine life of God. Yes, that's in, that's his glory, but let's not also forget his suffering. You know, like Christ suffered and then he was glorified, right? So we too must also be prepared for that. I think that's a really important point there. And it's one that can be very easily overlooked by some bad theology and the bad theology basically says jesus suffered so i don't have to jesus did this so i don't Uh -uh. no jesus did this so that we would then imitate him and we would be empowered to walk in his footsteps and to follow after him that as saint augustine would say what the head does so does the body Mm -hmm. That, that christ did the will of the father and he suffered and was glorified and we are called to do likewise 
Right. And I think it's crazy that theology like that exists, especially when in scripture, in First Peter chapter 4, he says, but rejoicing insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, mm. that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Right. So and his glory is also revealed in you once you've, you know, suffered and shared in his suffering as well as his glory. When we talk about what Christ suffered, there's that wonderful line in scripture where it says he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Mm, yes. Jesus knew what he was walking towards, but he was resolute in what he was going to do. And I think that nicely then ties into technique number three for Screwtape, avoiding total commitment. Because the mm. thing that was really bad about those false hopes is what you are subtly saying is, It'll be over soon, and then I won't have to endure, rather than saying, mm. I'm going to endure this whatever comes, however long this lasts. It's only when all of my strength gives out that I'm given up, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long run. Mm -hmm. And Screwtape says that that kind of attitude, the idea that I'm committing to this regardless, he says, you've got to stop him from doing that. He writes, whatever he says, let his inner resolution be not to bear whatever comes to him, but to bear it for a reasonable period. And let the reasonable period be shorter than the trial is likely to last. That's where those false hopes come in. Mm -hmm. It need not be much shorter. In attacks on patience, chastity, and fortitude, the fun is to make the man yield just when, had he but known it, relief was almost in sight. And when I read this, it put me in mind of the Navy SEAL training You've probably seen the videos where they're on a beach and they're holding logs above their head and, and running on the sand. Mm -hmm. And they, they're invited to quit whenever. There's a belt they can go over and ring. Right. Constantly. I, I've heard some interviews from the guys that do the training and they say, we can see somebody's about to quit. It's just a matter of when. It's, it's, it's not long. They're nearly there. They're nearly there. And he says, and as soon as that person's gone over and ring the bell, it's like, okay, we'll wrap it up. Okay, so you're, you're not going to be a SEAL anymore. The rest of you... Go change, go rest. And they go, what? I, if I knew we were going to be ending then, then I'd have lasted a little bit longer. Mm. And that's the delight of screw tape. <sighs> Seeing that people, <laughs> promising people, hey, it's going to be over soon. And right. then when that doesn't happen, they quit. And then, then you can stop the temptation. Oh, see, I didn't think of it that way. When I, when I read this, I, I thought of um, God's testing. And God does test us, right? Because we are disciples. We're being, di you know, disciplined. We're disciplining ourselves according to him and his measure. And, um, or he's disciplining us, however you want to look at it. And then that testing made me think of Star Wars and the Kobayashi Maru. You uh, know, that that's test Star that Trek. Get it oh right. Oh my gosh. Get it right, Rochelle. <laughs> it's in my notes. It's so funny. <laughs> I do that all the time. I, I call everything Star Wars, but I know it's Star Trek. <laughs> Hey, if I can remember the name of the Kobayashi Maru test, I think I know what I'm watching. Well, for people who aren't familiar with either Star Wars or Star Trek, what is the Kobayashi Maru? Uh, it's it's their it's the kind of like their final their test. It's like um, a simulation, right? In which they're basically supposed to fail, and they're just supposed to come to terms with the fact that they are going to fail the mission, right? It's a no win scenario, um, but that's not the way that God works, right? His testing. You know, like exactly like you were saying, it's it's like a boot camp. It's like SEAL training. It's it's to push you so that you can persevere in running the race. Like you're not, you know, you're not set up to fail, which some people, you know, in, in their darkest moments, they think that 
God is not there. God's not going to help them. But God is there. He is helping you. He's helping you to be disciplined. You know, and just that that saying that most people know that it's darkest before the dawn. I mean, that's so true that, you know, even in the life of Christ, it's darkest before the dawn. And it's true in ours as well. It's funny when you mentioned the Kobayashi Maru and the spiritual life, I thought, so that would make Captain Kirk kind of like Jesus because he sees <laughs> that this is a no-win scenario. So he hacks the system. So he survives it regardless. Wow. Yes. Yeah. If you use that in a talk in the future, please credit me somewhat. <laughs> I will. And when the Inquisition comes and asks me about it, it's like Rochelle told me to say no. it. <laughs> Uh, but this this section, it actually ties back to Screwtape's earlier comments in another letter about the virtue of fortitude and about how it is essential to all other virtues because it sustains those virtues at the point of testing and at the point of stress. Mm-hmm. And his comments here about temptation that Screwtape wants you to give up just before it was about to end, it, there's a parallel passage in Mere Christianity, which was written comparatively the same time. Lewis writes... A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. That is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Mm, So true. And again, there we get Lewis throwing some shade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, before we um, leave the topic of fatigue, I think we should talk about rest. I mean, I know that's not part of, you know, of the, the dialogue in the letter. But I mean, the opposite of fatigue is rest, right? And we're called to rest in the Lord. And I think that that's not necessarily something that has to be done solely on the Sabbath, right? Like we were created for the Sabbath to rest on the Sabbath, to spend time with the Lord on the Sabbath. But spending time with the Lord on the Sabbath, that's exactly what you do when you surrender in those difficult moments, Mm. right? Like you're there with the Lord. He is present with you. You are resting in him even in those difficult moments. And when, when we are fatigued and we're pushing on and we're pushing ourselves, We're doing that because we know that there's more stuff to be done. And so we're trying to do it ourselves. Whereas if we were to rest in the Lord, the true fruit of rest is productivity. You might have heard this story about uh, St. Mother Teresa, Mm. what she would do with her sisters. And like if they had like an extremely busy day or a lot of demands on them um, for that day, she would have them do an extra hour or two of adoration, right? Like rest in the Lord, depend on him, give him your physical time in the day, and you're going to be able to get so much more done, right? So you have more to do. You know, you would think, oh, I need to get to work immediately, right? But that was not her her understanding, right? And her understanding is actually the correct understanding. I mean, she's a saint after all, you know? Um, But you rest in the Lord when you have that time to rest in him, you know, on the Sabbath, during your prayer time, all of that. But also in your suffering, that is time of prayer. Also in your, you know, your day, your work, your struggle, everything can be offered as prayer. And when you look at it that way, you can rest in the Lord in those moments. In the letter, Screwtape then gives a brief aside, offering some guidance as to what to do if the patient meets his girlfriend while he's in this exhausted state. 
And Screwtape says to make full use of the fact that up to a certain point, fatigue makes women talk more and men talk less. Mm. Much secret resentment, even between lovers, can be raised from this. And I'm really pleased that I have a lady alongside me on this episode. <laughs> Otherwise. Do you think that generalization is fair? <laughs> you know what? I don't like it when men and women are pit against each other. But I have to say that I I agree. As much as I hate to agree because because of the situation, I do. In my personal experience, I think, I know for myself, like I'm not usually a big talker. But when I am tired, my filter is gone. And I just say anything and everything that's on my mind. My husband, when he is tired, he looks like like his eyes are glassed over. There is nothing going on behind the curtain, you know. And uh, yeah, generally, that's true. I mean, in our experience with it and in other experiences with friends and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that's true. Okay. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm letting that pass over with no further comment. <laughs> Let's let's talk about the final part of the letter, because here, Screwtape, he outlines the kind of attack which might be best used during these times of pressure, particularly during these air raids. He says that due to Wormwood's previous failures, the death and destruction that the patient is going to encounter, it's not really going to do much to attack his faith intellectually at this point. But Screwtape says that it can be used to work on his emotions. Screwtape writes, it turns on making him feel when he first sees human remains plastered on a wall, that this is what the world is really like, and that all his religion has been a fancy. As usual, Screwtape wants the patient to be confused and not to think clearly. And in this case, Screwtape doesn't want him to think clearly about the meaning of the word real. He wants it to mean different things depending upon the context. If the patient is having a great spiritual experience, Screwtape wants him to say that what really happened was that he just heard some music in a lighted building. Here, he's talking about just the... Real means the bare physical facts separated from the other elements in the experience that the man actually had. But on the other hand, the word real should sometimes be used in the exact opposite sense, not referring to the bare physical facts, but to the emotional impact of those bare physical facts upon the patient. Mm -hmm. And he gives the example of someone going on to a high dive at a pool. When he gets to the top board and looks over the edge, he'll know what it's really like. Now, in this situation... No new facts have been introduced. The patient knew everything about this beforehand. He knew how tall it was uh, and that it would be very high up. All that's different is that by standing on that high dive, you get to experience that directly along with all the accompanying feelings that go with it. In one of our videos back in the early days of the podcast, I spoke about skydiving. And when I got to the door, I knew an awful lot of facts about skydiving, but those went right out the window when I was staring <laughs> down at the ground. <laughs> and in this section, Screwtape says that Wormer's job is to keep the patient bouncing between these two different meanings of the word real, sometimes meaning just the raw facts, other times meaning the emotional response. What do you think this achieves? I think he gives the word real this emotional value. And when you give something an emotional value, it makes it flexible, right? Even when he's talking about, you know, the physical war and the human remains, he's focusing on the patient's emotional responses to those horrors that he's experiencing. And, you know, when it has an emotional value, that flexibility means that it's personal, therefore it's subjective, and you can dismiss it, right? Because it's it's just someone's experience, right? That doesn't mean it's real or it's true. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, and Screwtape wraps up this section 
end the whole letter by offering the general rule for applying this technique. He says that in all experiences which can make them happier or better, only the physical facts are real, while the spiritual elements are subjective. Whereas in all the experiences which can discourage or corrupt them, the spiritual elements are the main reality, and to ignore them is to be an escapist. Yeah, this right here had me like, I had to read this over and over. And so I think we should take a moment and explain it because there's so much here. That's why I read it. I'm like, okay, wait, I got the point, but I feel like there's something else. So like, there's a couple things going on here. When he's talking about things that are happy, that make you happy and make you better, that's going to be the result of the world itself, right? Like, that's what he means when he says physical. So the world and yourself, you make yourself better and happy, right? It's not God. I think it's more about his reception of what is happening. So later he talks about, if we're talking about birth, well, the blood Mm -hmm. and the pain, those are real. And the rejoicing at at a new life coming into the world, oh, that's just a mere subjective point of view. Death and hatred, those things are real. But the love that you feel for your husband, well, that's all about sex or personal gain. Mm-hmm. Wars and poverty, they're horrible. Peace and plenty, those are just sentiments. It's, it's basically, is this something good for the patient? Is this going to lead them close to God or away from God? That determines what are we focusing on here, either the sentiment or the raw facts. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I think that's a better way to explain that. Um, What about when it comes to being an escapist, right? What is he saying there? For me, I thought that that just meant that for people who hold that God is good, right? So therefore, like the good things in life Mm -hmm. come from God, right? But we have to realize, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that bad things do happen in life. And if that's the case, then one should conclude that God is not good or he doesn't exist, right? That's what Scrutate would argue, yes. Right. So if you don't follow that, then you're an escapist because you're ex- you're choosing to escape the physical reality, right? Like you're downplaying that. Yeah. Death is staring you in the face. Misery is staring you in the face. And if you try and look past that and explain that there is a good God behind the universe, well, you're just escapist. You're just a fantasy. It's, it's the common atheist retort about, oh, a sky daddy or a fairy or the Loch Ness Monster, or, mm-hmm. or the Father Christmas. You're trying to get away from the facts. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, because right now I'm also reading The Seven Story Mountain oh, yeah. by Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. And um, he's talking about this time before he was a believer, right? So he's more or less an atheist, and he has to study platonic um philosophy and he can't stand the transcendentals because he ta- <laughs> because to him it's like oh they commit the the big sin of platonism which is the reduction of all reality to the level of pure abstraction so that's what it means then for screw tape right he's he's coming from that perspective that's what he wants us to think yes to to filter our experience in one of two ways, depending upon whether or not it would lead us towards God or away from God, whether we focus mm-hmm. either on the raw physical facts or the emotions that we feel along with it. He just mm-hmm. he, he says that humans often accuse each other of uh, wanting to have their cake and eat it. He uses an archaic form, but that's the idea that we want both things. And he mm-hmm. says he wants to give the patient nothing for them to pay mm-hmm. for their cake and not even to eat it. He says that your patient properly handled will have no difficulty in regarding his emotion at the sight of human entrails as a revelation of reality and his emotion at the sight of happy children or fair weather as mere sentiment. 
Mm-hmm. You see that there are two different ways yeah. of perceiving those items. You either view it as raw facts or the emotions I'm feeling about those facts. Mm-hmm. Have you got any closing thoughts before we move on to unscrewing screw tape? With regard to this concept of real, that screw tape wants, you know, this this confusion of, of what is real, that screw tape puts uh, forward. I think that it has some very dire consequences for the faithful. You know, if we look at our life that way, if we're going to focus on the bad in the physical world as what's real, I think we'll end up eventually, even if we don't profess it, but in our hearts, we will end up separating Good Friday from the resurrection of Easter Sunday, mm. right? Because the resurrection is is reality, right? And all of its spiritual merits are, in fact, reality. And that goes to show you how you how you view something. And there's a line in The Magician's Nephew, uh, what you see depends on very much where you're standing and the sort of person you are, how you receive it. If you are standing at Calvary when Jesus was crucified, you would see a criminal receiving capital punishment. That's what you Mm -hmm. would see in the raw physical facts. But there's another way of looking at what is happening there. And then it becomes a sacrifice. And our view of what is taking place utterly transforms. You can always still reduce it to the raw physical facts of a man's body being nailed to some pieces of wood. There is more happening there than the raw physical facts. Exactly. Well, well put. Good way to close. <laughs> so this is the section in each episode where we take all of the twisted advice Screwtape's written to his nephew and we untwist it and straighten it out and give a few simple do's and don'ts. So right. I'll, I'll kick off with a few. Do be aware of fatigue. Do beware of self-reliance. Do not automatically conceive misfortune as injury. Do not negotiate with vice. And this next one is really important in marriage. Do be more considerate when you or the person you are with is tired. (laughs) (laughs) And from the idea that we just touched on a moment ago, do not reduce reality to raw physical facts. And I would have to say, do prioritize rest, especially rest in the Lord. And that can even happen in your moments of fatigue and suffering. And my do not comes from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Beautiful. (laughs) I know that's not exactly tied into what we read in Screwtape, but I think we all need that encouragement, you know, especially in moments of fatigue and suffering. I actually think it ties in very neatly because it's two ways of looking at things. Uh, from the outside, I'm wasting away. I'm getting older. I'm getting uh, less attractive. My eyesight is failing. Uh, <laughs> that's one way of looking at what's happening to me. But looking at it with the eyes of faith and sometimes a little bit of self-delusion, my inner nature is being renewed day by day. Day I, by day. I am just becoming <laughs> holier. <laughs> Before we wrap up, uh, can where can people go to find out more about you? And can you tell them what sort of things they're going to hear on your podcast? The best place is to hit up the website, clumsytheosis.net. There you're going to find links to all of my social accounts and ways that you can listen to the show and even opportunities for you to be able to sign up for my weekly email, which sends the episodes directly to you. And uh, David mentioned earlier on in this episode that I just wrapped up a series on salvation history, which talks about the 
six key figures throughout salvation history, starting from Adam and ending with Jesus and the Eucharist and the point of it all and what we need to learn from it and all of the covenants and how that affects us today. And I'm currently in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare with an emphasis on the armor of God from Ephesians 6. So anything and everything related to the faith, so scripture, theology, sacraments, doctrine, prayer, anything that we can talk about that will help us to grow in our understanding of the faith and in order for us to make it personal, make it our own, and actually practically use the knowledge about the faith so that we can have a vibrant faith life, become saints, be transformed by Christ, and transform the world. So go to clumsytheosis.net. You'll get all that there. And occasionally hear references to Star Trek. Or Star Wars. Or Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Joking, joking. No one send me hate mail, please. (laughs) Thanks again to Rochelle for co-hosting with me today. And we'd like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon, and particularly our top-tier supporters, Kimberly, Brian, Kay, Monique, Paul, Gillis, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. As always, we can be found on our website, pintsforjack.com, as well as on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and yes, MySpace. Next week, we're going to be looking at the final letter from Screwtape, and Matt and I will also explain how you can get hold of the newly produced Pints with Jack mugs. (sighs) And join us then when we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.